It is good to be here with you this weekend and to celebrate this Eucharist with you. And for any of you who were impacted by the Marshall Fire, please know that uh, during that time, all of you were in my prayers uh, because I do realize how close uh, it got to both the parish and uh, to some of the families here. And um, my thoughts are truly with you. Uh, in this time, and I pray that the Lord will continue to protect all of you and help you if you do, did lose your home uh, in this time, that he will provide you with all that you need. In our readings for today, they point to, first of all, a, the first miracle of Jesus in John's Gospel. And usually in this time of ordinary time, we are reading Luke's gospel. But the church at times will put in John's gospel because in the three-year cycle of readings that we have, it is with Mark, Matthew, and Luke's gospel. And John's is primarily used for Christmas or for Easter and parts of Lent. And so John's Gospel uh, gets thrown in at different times uh, over the three-year period. And this is one of the times that we have it. And it is at the wedding feast of Cana. And it's important to know a little bit about Jewish weddings in the time of Jesus. If you think there was a lot of planning for your wedding, it was even more so in Jesus' time because the wedding itself would take seven full days. And it meant having meals for all those invited to the wedding and then the ceremony itself and then at the very end of the bringing together of the husband and wife in their new home and a celebration there. So you can imagine what it was like. And with that, Mary notices that they have ran out of wine. And she is concerned for the bridegroom and the bride because she knows that that will be an embarrassment. And so she says to Jesus, well, they've run out of wine. In other words, she says they have ran out of wine, they have no wine, and she's implying do something about it. It would be like us when maybe I can remember as a kid at least, when my mother would say to me, tomorrow is trash day, and that meant get the trash out. But it was done in the way that women often do it, of just saying and throwing something out there and knowing you'll pick it up and, and, and know. And so Jesus and Jesus' response in this translation seems uh, somewhat hard towards Mary of, you know, how does your concern affect me? And But when one looks at the Greek words, it is really saying, you know, what is this concern for both you and me? 
And so it is the two of them. And Mary has complete confidence in Jesus that he will do something. And she tells the waiters, do whatever he tells you. Those are her last words spoken in the Gospels. And they're important words because they point to Jesus. And they are a reminder to every disciple that we are to do what Jesus says, that we are to take seriously Jesus' words and to live them out in our daily lives. And so there are six stone jars there of 20 to 30 gallons each. And that means about 180 gallons. And that's a lot of water that becomes wine. And it is abundant. And so Jesus tells them, fill the jars with water. And then the water is turned into wine. And with that, the head raider goes to the bridegroom and says, you have kept the best wine till now. Jesus did this at the beginning of his signs at Galilee. It is the first of his sign, the first of his miracle. The word miracle can mean sign. And that revealed his glory. And his disciples began to put their faith in Jesus. And that is precisely why the church has this reading here for us today. In this beginning of ordinary time. It is an invitation for us to put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we too, in seeing, in hearing the miracles that Jesus accomplishes, that we too recognize who Jesus is. And so that gift of faith and his glory is being revealed through the miracle that he works, of turning the water into wine. But importantly, too, is the fact that it takes place at a wedding, because it is also the bridegroom's responsibility to be the one who provides the wine. And here, it is Jesus who is providing the wine. And so there is the implication that Jesus is the bridegroom, that he is the one who is the groom, and that we are to receive him as the bridegroom of the church. And so there is nuptial language that is there. And that brings us to the first reading, to Isaiah, because in that first reading from the prophet Isaiah, is given a promise by God. And you will note all the nuptial language that is given in that first reading from Isaiah. In it, the Lord is speaking to the people, and he says, I will not be silent, I will not be quiet, until her vindication shines forth. And so note the passion of God there for humanity. God is saying, I will rescue you, and I will take care of you. And then it goes on. All the nations will see your vindication and your glory. 
and you shall be called by a new name, pronounced from the mouth of the Lord. Not the name the world gives you, but the name that I give you. And no longer shall people call you forsaken or desolate, because that's how people would refer to the people of Israel, as forsaken and desolate. And in that, the Lord goes on, and he says, you shall be called my delight, your land espoused. Now notice the tenderness of God in that, and the love of God for humanity, for all of us. He is speaking there that we will be his delight, my delight, that, he will be, that we will be espoused to him. For the Lord delights in you and makes your land his spouse. So God is the bridegroom there. And then it goes on, as a young man marries a virgin, your builder shall marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. And one can see in that and hopefully experience the delight and the joy that God has for you. And that is the vision that is given to us. He is saying that that will take place. And it is Jesus who fulfills that. It is Jesus who accomplishes that. And in that, it's important when we look at that nuptial language that we see that it is on two levels. First of all, it is general for the people. Your land I will espouse. And so he's speaking to all of the people. And in that, it is towards Jerusalem that he is speaking. That is why in the book of Revelation, you will hear of the new Jerusalem. And it's going all the way back to the time of Isaiah where that promise is given. And it's fulfilled in Jesus and accomplished in Jesus' death and resurrection. And then it is also on a personal level that each and every one of us must respond to that love and that invitation to love. Jesus and God can never force us to love them, just as you and I cannot force people to love us. Love must always be received. And it is true in our relationship with God. He has told us, I delight in you. I rejoice in you. My sisters and brothers, do you taste that personally? Do you believe that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit rejoice in you and delight in you? And if you're hearing a little voice right now saying, that's impossible, 
or if you're stupid enough to say, well, God really doesn't know me. God knows you before you were born. He also knew every stupid thing you were going to do and every sin you were going to commit. But he still loved you. He still created you. He still died for you and rose for you. That is how much he loves us. How do we respond to that on the level of our own heart? How do we receive that love? And so the Lord is revealing to us here that we are in that relationship with him. And the church gives us this reading in January of 2022, a new year to open our hearts to Jesus, to a deeper encounter with him who loves us and delights in us. And do you see yourself as the bride of Jesus, of being in that intimate relationship and friendship with him? Because it is he and he alone who can save you, who can give you eternal life, who can forgive your sins, and who will truly delight in you when you open your hearts to him. And where we receive that the most is in the Eucharist. Because Jesus gives to us the gift, the total gift of himself in the Eucharist. The Eucharist is nuptial. The Eucharist is Jesus giving himself his body, blood, soul, and divinity for us. And he is truly present in the Eucharist. He who delights in you. He who rejoices in you. He is here. And he has loved us so much that he has never abandoned us. And every time we celebrate the Eucharist, we renew that nuptial relationship with him so that we may give ourselves to him as he has given himself for us. And so as we continue with the celebration of the Eucharist today, I encourage you, my sisters and brothers, to reflect upon these readings. And how is the Lord speaking to your heart today? What is the invitation that he is giving to you on this Sunday in January, 2022? Is he inviting you to deeper intimacy? Is he inviting you to see that he rejoices in you and delights in you? Is he inviting you 
to a deeper faith and trust and confidence in his promises and word that it is true? Is he inviting you to a deeper love and appreciation of the Eucharist? To recognize that the bridegroom is here in your midst whenever the Eucharist is celebrated? Or is he inviting you to listen to Mary and her words? Do whatever he tells you. Do I faithfully listen to the words of Jesus and believe them and act upon them? In whatever way the Lord is bringing them, whatever invitation he is giving to you, in his word, open your heart to that. And as you receive him in the Eucharist, and when you return to your place, Close your eyes and speak heart to heart with the one who delights in you. Open your heart to him and know that he is there with you, filled with joy that you have received him who loves you. And then too, will his words, will the words of the gospel be fulfilled. Jesus did this as the beginning of his signs at Cana in Galilee, and so revealed his glory, and his disciples began to believe in him. <laughs>